Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. And as you're seated, you can open up to Genesis chapter 32, and we're going to continue our series called Alpha and Omega, and uh, we're trekking along, looking at the life of a patriarch. His name is Jacob, and before we get into today's message, uh, let me, as your pastor, say, Happy Mother's Day. And let me do this. If you are a mother or a grandmother, or one day you hope to be a mother, I want you to stand up. Amen? And Barry, you just stood up right at the wrong time. I said mothers, and there you stood up right there. Okay? All right, the rest of the church, let's show them some love. And ladies, mothers, you can be seated. And let me just say, if it were not for mothers, men, we would not be here. So uh, we need to appreciate our mothers. Also, in the life of our church here, we have a lot of mothers-to-be. They're expecting mothers, a lot of recent births. And so one of them, we have a brand new addition to our church body um, because Kaylee and Matt Noel had their baby this morning at 127. Amelia Sue Noel, 7 pounds, 10 ounces, 21 inches. So uh, praise the Lord for that. They're doing great. And uh, continue to pray for that transition. That is their first. And so right now they think they have it all figured out. And then they're going to go home and realize that they're total idiots. So that's the way that works. All right. So we are looking at God's word in Genesis chapter 32. And just to give a a little uh, recap of where we are and how we ended up to the place where we are in the life of Jacob, who this is God's family. This is the family that God will introduce himself through uh, into a nation. Also, it is ultimately the lineage, the, 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 the bloodline of where Jesus will come from. And so Jacob has been a cheat and a conniver since before he and Esau uh, were born, while they were still womb mates. <laughs> yeah, that, that went way over your head right there. And while they were still womb mates, okay, he was already a shyster. He was already trying to outdo his brother and steal from his brother even before they were born. And so after stealing from his brothers, from his brother ultimately two times, deceiving his blind old dad, lying over and over, including, uh, including God in his, in his conniving scheme, he then becomes a fugitive. He's a mama's boy. We learned that at 70 years old, his mom is still telling him what to do. His mom is still telling him what to wear. Who in the right mind is a grown man at 70? And when their mother says, here, son, strap this goat hair on your neck and go in and let your dad pet your neck. Who does that? Jacob does it. So he is a messed up individual. And so now he's running because the last words that his brother Esau said after he stole the birthright and the blessing is this. When the old man dies, I'm killing Jacob. All right. So now he's running for his life. He's a fugitive. And so at the same time, we saw last week that they're starting to soften a little bit. Isaac realizes what an idiot he's been. Esau kind of backs off of the whole hatred. I'm going to kill my brother thing. Rebecca, she's still messed up. No good words about her. She's just a crazy woman. Okay. Now uh, Jacob now is on the run. He's going, he's going to meet uncle Laban to find him a wife. And when he gets there, he falls in love uh, with a young lady named Rachel at the well. And I told 
I say this, young men, if you're single, you're looking for a woman, here's your new pickup line. Go up to the girl that you think is beautiful and just start crying like a baby. That's what he does. And she takes him for a husband. There's a wonderful thing. He goes home to Uncle Laban, and Uncle Laban says this, Jacob, you are bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Really powerful truth. What he little did Jacob know is they're so close related to, closely related to each other that Uncle Laban is a shyster too, and that's where he got it. So what happens? He marries Rachel. He thinks. He wakes up in the morning, and it is not beautiful Rachel. It is her less attractive older sister named Leah. And so he ends up, before it's all over, he serves Uncle Laban for 20 years for two women. That's all messed up. The whole idea of multiple women, I do not get. And if you're here today, and you are a man, and you think one woman is enough for one man, say amen. If you didn't just say it, you're an absolute idiot because your wife is probably sitting there with you, okay? Now, it, it is one is enough. One is enough. I don't want multiple women in my life other than children and grandchildren. I got a wife. I got a good one. She's keeper. I don't want any more. Now he's got two, and there's jealousy, and it's an absolute mess still in this family. Now, last week, we, we, we found out that Jacob, um, Jacob finds himself alone. He hadn't found, he hasn't made it to Laban yet. And, and, and he finds himself asleep and, uh, excuse me, sleepy and the sun has gone down. So he lays down on a rock and he has this vision. The vision is this ladder or this staircase with angels ascending and descending. And at the top of the ladder or the staircase is Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, the Lord God. And he introduces himself. So in that moment, here's what happens. First of all, Laban gets an understanding, angels are real. And I want you to know, angels are real. They descend and ascend all the time. Hebrews says they are ministering spirits. And trust me when I tell you, you want the angels to be ministering on your behalf because just like they're angels, there are demons and they are out to get you. And so God sends his angels to protect you. They're real. Now he got to see them. Not only that, he saw the Lord Jesus is real. So we closed up last week. Here's a guy who has been for his whole life. He is 70 years old on the run. He's been 70 years seeing God at a distance. He is a casual observer to the Lord God. He sees his grandfather Abraham talking about God, living for God, just uh, telling the stories about God. He sees his dad, who although they have issues too, but he's a godly man. He sees Isaac talking about God, trying to live for God, telling stories about God. All the while, Jacob has been a casual observer. This God of his father and his grandfather has not yet been made his own. He has not embraced him. He has seen him at a distance. I'll pause right there. Today, in this body, in this church, right here, there are people who are still casual observers of God. You've heard the stories you know people who say that they have an intimate relationship with God. You, you, you know the story of God. You know the story of Jesus. You know about sacrifice. You know about sin. But still today, you're a casual observer. You have never received that into your life. And so my prayer for, for you today, first of all, is that the Lord God invites you in for an intimate relationship with him, where he would adopt you and call you his son or his daughter. Now, Jacob was there, but now when he sees God on this ladder, he says, hey, I believe in you too. It's not just, you're just not the God of my papa. You're not just the God of my daddy. You are now my personal God. Genesis 28, 21, then the Lord shall be my God. So he's a believer. Now there's a problem. Uh, he, he's a believer, 
But now he's going to run for 20 years since he became a believer. And let me just explain something. There's a big, big, vast chasm of a difference between being saved and being sanctified. There's a lot of people now in this church and in this world who have placed their faith in Jesus. They said, okay, I'm no longer a casual believer, but he is my God. I am born again. Jesus has saved me and I'm a Christian. And they claim that and that's fine and it's wonderful, but it doesn't, it's not supposed to stop there. You see, Jesus doesn't save us just so he can get us into heaven with him one day. He saves us to set us apart for a particular goal. He has a work for every single person, a purpose for every single person to accomplish. And so he saves you to sanctify or set you apart for the calling he has on your life. Now, what does it mean to be sanctified? Because that's kind of a big, that's kind of a big word. It means to become saint-like, to live on the outside as a reflection of what's happened on the inside. Okay, In the Old Testament, they would have pots or jars of water, and they would have a pot for washing your hands. They would have a pot for washing the utensils. They would have a a pot for drinking. And so they all had a particular purpose. They were set apart for a particular purpose. That's what is supposed to happen when we get saved. Now, it doesn't always happen overnight. It happened pretty quickly for the apostle Paul. It didn't happen overnight for most of the rest of the believers who have ever lived. And it probably has not happened for most of us in this room. So what we find is we find Jacob now, 20 years later, he's 90 years old, all right? And he's a believer, he's saved, but his life still doesn't really look like it. He kind of looks like he did before with a few subtle changes. And trust me, that is not why Jesus went to the cross Romans 12, 2 says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we move forward. Genesis 29, he meets the love of his life. Uncle Laban gives him the, gives him a little taste of his own medicine and he later runs. At this point, he's accumulated a lot of wealth. He's got a couple of wives. He's got some women servants, some men servants. He's got just tons and tons of animals and wealth, and he is fleeing once again. I want you to know when God saves you from something, he saves you to something else. When God delivers you from a place, he delivers you to another place. See, there's a lot of people who have made professions. They, have a, they, they say they have a relationship with God, but they're kind of hung out in this fog, this like a zombie land. I'm not dead in my sins, but I'm not really alive in my salvation. That's not the way it's supposed to work. God saves us, and he wants to deliver us, rescue us, capture us, captivate us, carry us from one place and put us over here in this brand new place. And so I'm here to challenge you today. If your life is kind of defeated, if your Christianity seems a little bit lukewarm, tepid, kind of not very victorious, it's because you have not allowed God to take you where he wants you to go. He wants to make your outside look like what he's done on the inside, which leaves us uh, leads us to today's message. And I got a little video I'd like to show you just to kind of get us thinking a little bit. Let's do that video, fellas. Happy enough? Whoops. Whoa. One more time. Slow-mo. He's happy at first. 
It's not so happy right there. Are you kidding me? Now you say, why would he show that? Here's the title of today's message. That will leave a mark. That's going to leave a mark. We've heard that. And it's Mother's Day. And mothers, if you're here and it left a mark on you, say it did. Yeah, it did. I'm so glad that you all are the reason for the fall and God made y'all have children. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm so glad the second part that God made you have children and not us. Because if men had to have children... Uh, procreation would have ceased right at the beginning. And we would not be here today because you are much, much tougher than men are. Amen, men? That was, you messed up. You had an opportunity right there to shine and you missed it. So that's going to leave a mark is the t- today's message. Now in Genesis chapter 32, we're still in the life of Jacob. And he begins in the first several verses. And I just want to paraphrase what happens in the first 21 verses. <clears throat> Esau is... Uh, is on the run, he's a fugitive, and he hears Esau is in the neighborhood, okay? And so he starts getting a little scared. And it says in verse 1 that he, right as he understands Esau's coming, he realizes there are angels. He still knows. He doesn't struggle with it this time. He realizes, okay, cool, I've got these angels. They got my back. They're protecting me. It's all good. He knows God is protecting him, but then it says that he was very afraid. And so what he does is he begins to come up with a plan. Imagine Jacob with a plan. And his plan is to go and offer a peace offering to his brother Esau because he knows his brother Esau has had 20 years of crockpot hatred. 20 years his brother has been hating on him, looking for this opportunity to annihilate him. And so Jacob, that's what Jacob thinks. And so Jacob says, listen, we're going to go down and give him a peace offering. So he shows, he sends his servants. He says, go down there and tell him that, that uh, Jacob wants to make this thing right. He, you know, he wants, after all, we're roommates. You know, we need to get this thing put together. Let's have, you know, why can't we all just get along? Let me give you a whole bunch of my stuff because I got a bunch of animals. I got a bunch of servants. I have a bunch of money. I want to share the love because I want to make this right between me and you. And so the servants come back and they say, hey, we delivered the message and we've got good news, Jacob. Esau's coming to see you and he's bringing 400 men. Well, that's not really what he wanted to hear, okay? Because uh, Jacob is not a fighter. Remember, he's, he's a mama's boy. And he, he doesn't like this. So then he moves to a place in verse 9 where he prays. Now let me pause right here. Often as believers in God who, have not fully un, who don't fully understand sanctified living yet, prayer doesn't make it top tier, top shelf, unless it's like a 911 prayer. Prayer is usually second, third, fourth option. And let me encourage you today. Make prayer the number one part of your life, of your spiritual journey. Pray, pray, pray. Pray some more. Develop that in your life. Paul would say to pray without ceasing. Jacob didn't get it. He already has a plan. He realizes, man, this is going to go south quickly. So now he prays. As soon as he finishes praying, does he leave it in God's hands? No, he comes up with another plan. So he is always, <clears throat> he is always, always planning. So that leads us to first point. In Jacob's life and in the life of any believer, number one, running from losing. This says in, cha- in chapter 32, verse 22 through 24a, it says, during the night, Jacob quickly took his two wives, his two female servants, and the 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream along with all of his possessions. So Jacob now is left alone. 
Now keep in mind what he's just done is he divided everything he had and he put it in two fronts and he put them in front of himself because he's thinking when Esau shows up, he won't attack both groups. He'll attack one or the other and one of them will get away. And then he takes his family, his wives and his servants, and he sends them across the river. Now he's there all by himself. And I just want to tell you, often the thing that God desires most out of you is an opportunity or an audience where it's just you and him. Because we live in a world, man, that's so distracted, that just bombards us with opportunities to move us away from thinking about what God wants in our life. So he gets him to this place. Keep in mind, he's been a believer now for 20 years. God is not satisfied with where Jacob is in his life. And I don't know how long you've been a believer, but I just want to ask you a question. Do you think God is satisfied with where your life is now X number of years past that moment in time when you became a believer, do you think he's satisfied with where you are? Because I want to tell you something. He is always inviting us to a new place, a new chapter in this thing called faith living, this new chapter in our spiritual journey. And so, so, uh, so he sees what's going on. He's concerned about what's happening. Now he's alone, and he's wondering what will be next. Now, he's at this place in his life where he's, he's already told God, this is my prayer, God, and he turns around, and he begins to manipulate and manufacture a plan. So how many of you have ever done that with God? You pray to God, and, and then as if you don't really trust him, you say, okay, by the way, God, thanks for letting me pray to you. I got this. Okay, famous last words, I got this. But that's not God's desire. When God's desire is that we fully trust him and leave everything in his hands. God is always working on Jacob. We, we sang that song a few minutes ago about he came running down Prodigal Road and he came running with a, a ring and a robe. That's exactly what he does. I want you to know something today. God loves you. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what color your baggage is. God loves you right now. And he doesn't love you any more or any less tomorrow or yesterday because he loves you all the time infinitely. Now, that being said, he doesn't love us. He loves us so much he's not content to leave us where we are. There was a song by the Hemp Hills that, we, that used to be sung, and we sing it to our kids sometimes. He's still working on me. Anybody remember that song? Okay. Yeah, most old people. Okay, some young people. Here's, what, here's the words. He's still working on me to make me what I need to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Now, God's still working on you. Now, he's running from losing. And I want to tell you what America looks like today. We run, we run, we run from losing. We're afraid we're going to lose tomorrow. We're afraid we're going to experience another loss like we experienced yesterday. We've made bad decisions in the past, so we run from that. We, um, we are uncertain about what the future holds, so we run from that. We're, we're uncertain. All of this uncertainty and all of this loss that we've experienced in our life, uh, we run from it. We, instead of just owning it, we run and we run and we run. 
So I want you to know that when you place your faith in Jesus, it's not time to run away from losing. It's a time to run into his presence, to experience the victory that he has for you in the next chapter. So he's running from losing. Number two, he's hurting from losing. Listen to what it says in 24b and 25. It says, then a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not defeat Jacob, he struck the socket of his hip. So the socket of, of Jacob's hip was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Now, it's kind of an odd thing right here. Because here's in the darkness, Jacob's alone. And this man, quote, man shows up. Well, we find out in the New Testament who this man is. It is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Well, that's odd. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is an incarnation of God. Jesus is God with skin on, okay? Now, in the Old Testament, Jesus showed up sometimes, and it wasn't called the incarnated God. It was the pre-incarnate. Before he had flesh on, he would show up on this earth in several stories. And so here, the Bible says Jesus shows up to wrestle Jacob. Now, this is kind of funny. Why? Because Jacob is 90 years old. Who picks a fight with a 90-year-old? You say, well, that's a little unfair. Well, Jesus is infinity years old, so it makes it even, okay? Now, he picks a fight with Jacob, who's 90 years old. What's even more funny about it, Jacob is not a fighter. I don't know what that is, but it's going away, okay? Jacob is not a fighter. Jacob is more like, uh, he's not an athlete. He's more like the, um, the guy operating the deep fry at the concession stand. Okay, that's, that's who he is, and yet Jesus shows up and picks a fight. He, if he's an athlete at all, he would be a marathon runner because he's been running for 20 years. And yet Jesus shows up and picks a fight. Now, here's an interesting phrase in God's word. It says that this man who wrestled Jacob could not defeat him, could not defeat him. Now, that's a little odd. That means either Jacob, man, he's some kind of a man. Okay, he's going to fight Jesus and win? Well, that's not what it means at all. What it means is that when Jesus showed up to wrestle Jacob, he's trying to make him who he needs to be. And he can't defeat him because to defeat him fully means he won't be able to use him. So here's what I want you to know. When he says right here, I can't defeat Jacob, He's not saying Jacob is too powerful for God. What he's saying is, I could crush Jacob. I could totally annihilate Jacob. I could smash him out of the eternal timeline records as if he never existed. I could vaporize every atom of his existence. But if I do that, I can no longer use him. So I can't fully defeat him and use him at the same time. So what he does, he says, I'm going to leave a mark. He says, I'm going to get him to a place where he's broken. Because I want you to know something today. I'm asking for a question. Would you, I'm asking a question, looking for a response. Would you agree that you are most vulnerable and your heart is most receptive when you're hurting and broken? If it's true, say it is. It is. And if you've never been broken, you just wait because your day is coming. I want you to know that God does his greatest works, his greatest work with broken things. 
He did it in the Old Testament. Jeremiah said, break up the fallow ground. Uh, Gideon had to break the pitcher. Mary in the New Testament had to break the alabaster box. Jesus, to feed the 5,000, had to break the bread and the fish. Jesus himself, God had to break Jesus on a cross. God works his greatest deeds through brokenness. And so when we're hurting, it's a perfect time for God to use us. And sometimes he just needs to get our attention. I'm not a quick learner. I'm a slow learner. I want to tell you there's two ways that God gets us to conform. There's two ways that God gets the message to us. He does it through his word, quickened by the Holy Spirit. And then he does it through woodshed discipline. Okay? Now, we kind of get to choose. It doesn't mean we're exempt from one or the other, but we get to choose how much of one or the other we, we want. And I would encourage you this morning to get in God's word and let God's spirit speak to your heart so he doesn't have to teach you the good old-fashioned hard way. And so we're run, he's running from losing, and so do we. He's hurting from losing, and so do we. Number three, winning from losing. Winning from losing. It says in verse 26, Then this man, Jesus, said, Let me go, for the dawn <clears throat> is breaking. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then the man Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he answered, Jacob. No longer will your name be Jacob, the man told him, but Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, please tell me your name. Why do you ask me my name? The man replied, then he blessed Jacob there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, explaining, certainly I have seen God face to face and have survived. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Now, what does this have to do with anything? Okay. In this story, now Jacob is wrestling with Jesus. Jesus says, I can't fully defeat him because if I defeat him, I can't use him. And I don't really want to abuse him. I just want to use him. I don't want to hurt him. I just want to help him become who I want him to be. And so now the, the wrestling match is over and right in the middle of it, uh, he, Jesus says, okay, the sun's coming up. It's time to go. And Jacob says, oh no, I'm not letting you go until I get a blessing. And then there's an odd question here. Jesus asked the man he's wrestling with, what's your name? Now, we've already said he's Jesus. We would own the fact that he's God. Jesus being God means he's omniscient, meaning he knows all things. Do you think that Jesus has picked this random guy in the darkness and he doesn't know who he is? Or is he asking a question for a reason? He's asking a question for a reason. And here it is. He's saying, what is your name? He knew his name, but he just wants to know his name. He wants him to own his name. He knows he's a runner. He knows he denies the, the, his, the, the ugliness of his past. He knows, Jesus knows, Jacob knows that he's a conniver and a cheat and uh, a heel grabber and he's twisted and he develops plans to rob and he's a liar. Jesus knows that. And so he says, what's your name? Jacob says, my name is Jacob. That's all Jesus was looking for is for Jacob to simply say, I am who I am. 
Now, we told you a couple of weeks ago what the word Jacob means. It means liar, cheat, and conniver. So Jacob is speaking to the one who's wrestling with him, and he says, my name is cheater, liar, conniver, and thief. That's who I am. I want you to know today, that's all Jesus wants. He just simply wants us to own who we are. Because until we own who we are, he cannot take us to the place where we can become who it is he wants us to be. Now, I'm telling you, man, that is powerful truth. And it goes way back. You remember in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned and, and God shows up in the garden and they're hiding and God asks, hey, where are you? It's not like God didn't know where they were. God was looking for a confession of who they were and where they were. God was looking for Adam and Eve to say, we're here in the woods, we're naked and ashamed because we, we took of the forbidden fruit. That's all he's looking for. He will never be able to make you who you need to be until you confess who you already are. Wow, that is really good stuff. He will never make you who he wants you to be until you confess to him who you already are. And so, so here's what happened. He says, this is who I am. What, what about that? Because here's, sometimes we're afraid that we're gonna, if we tell God who we really are, he's not going to use us. And the truth is he can't use us until we tell him who we really are. He's not disapp- he is not going to be disappointed with your confession because he already knows it. And sometimes God gets our attention with brokenness. Sometimes he has to strong arm us just to get us to admit who we are, just to get us ready to move to a new place. I remember when Kendra and I were in Alabama and I was doing student ministry and it was really fun. <clears throat> it was a good ministry and I don't take the credit for it. God just did some fun stuff and he sent us a whole bunch of kids and man, they just stayed at church all the time. They didn't want to go home. And there was one of them that I got to lead the Lord and he was a, a lineman for the football team and he was about six foot four and he weighed about eh, 230 pounds, I guess. And I was a little different guy then. I was probably 6'2", weighed about 190 pounds. And he had, out, had grown really quickly, and he was just a big old guy. And uh, so he wasn't a bully, but he was, just, he was just big. And so he'd just throw his weight around, and he would hurt people. He wasn't meaning to. He's just who he was. He's just a big old guy. And so he would push people. He'd just come up. He'd just come up and say, hey, you know, and he'd just, th- uh, he'd just throw himself on them. And little girls, man, would hurt, and they'd come and cry. Hey, what and I'd say, what happened? Ryan, Ryan pushed me, you know. I mean, because they hurt. I mean, he would just hurt people. He's a big guy, no control, you know. So one day we're on the way to church. We're in the church parking lot on a Sunday morning. And it's Kendra and myself and our two daughters, and they were small then. And, and he just came up, and I told him, no less than 50 times, you have got to stop pushing people. You're going to kill somebody. So here he came across the parking lot. Before I could even brace myself, yeah, here he came, just threw himself on me, okay? Jammed me into a fence, and it was a chain link fence, and the pipe was sticking out, and it jabbed me right here. I put my hand down to feel the blood coming through my shirt. And before I knew what happened, I had him in a choker hold, in a headlock, in the parking lot of the church. And I've got him on the parking lot. I'm, I got him down. 
I, I got him. He never saw it coming. Like a duck on a June bug, I'm on him, and I'm choking him out. I'm saying, Ryan, you have got to stop pushing people. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I said, no, no, sir. You do not get it. I have told you and told you. I need you to say, I will stop pushing people. He's saying loud. I will stop pushing people. And I'm like Sergeant Carter. I can't hear you. He's saying, I will stop pushing people. I said, I said, I said, Ryan, I love you. Do you know I love you? Yes, I do. Tell me you love me. He says, you love me, brother Joel. I said, yeah, I do. And now tell me again, you're going to stop pushing people. He said, I'm going to stop pushing people. I said, I'm going to let you up right now. And we're not going to push anymore. And I'm just wearing it out. And I'm sweating, man. I'm in a full blown lather. I'm wore out. I let him up. And I look up, and his mama is standing right here watching the whole thing. And here's the scary part. She's bigger than me, too. So now I'm thinking, now i got to wrestle her, okay? And so all of a sudden, she goes, this is what she said. She said, that's the only thing he understands. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I did not want to wrestle this woman, too, okay? Maybe a different Sunday, but not today, all right? Now, here's the thing. I didn't want to hurt him. I wanted to help him. I didn't want to abuse him. I want to use him, man. Here's a guy who brings a whole lot to the table. You take a guy that's six foot four and he's 230 pounds. He comes in and says, hey, I love Jesus and you should too. A lot of people say, I think I will, you know. I mean, he had a platform and I was just trying to get him to that place. And it took that. And listen to me, church. God has a platform for you. No matter where you come from, no matter where you've been, no matter what you think you do or don't have, no matter what gifts you think you have or don't have, however God has wired you, whoever you are, it's because God had a plan. When he knit you together in your mother's womb, he knew what he was doing and he saw long past that moment when you showed up and he designed you to accomplish a task. That's what God does. And sometimes all he's doing is saying, I know your heart believes, but I need your life to show it. I know you say you believe me. I know you, you believe that I love you, but I need your life to reflect what's going on on the inside because that's what God wants to do. So I wrote this I, I was sitting here thinking about this message and it dawned on me, what, what possesses a God so great to love someone so pitiful as Jacob. We'll use him as our poster child. And then I got to thinking, what would possess a God so great to love somebody so pitiful as your pastor? What would possess a God so great to choose to love us? What would choose that God? What would make that God choose to come and try to change us to the place he wants us to be? Are you ready? He didn't love. He didn't change Jacob because he's lovable. He loved Jacob because he's changeable. And he doesn't want to change you because you're lovable. He wants to love you because you're changeable. He he does, if you are born again, he does not see all of that baggage. He sees you from the moment Christ came into your heart and into the future. And all he is doing is accomplishing his desires in your life. Scripture says that 
he who began a great work in you will be faithful to complete it until the coming of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that good news? He who started that little work in your life, that little seed of belief in your heart, he started that. You didn't start it. He pursued you. You didn't pursue him. And that thing that he started in your heart, it says he will be faithful to complete it. Sometimes that work of completion hurts like crazy. But he's faithful to complete it. We finish up with this. It says in verse 31, when Jacob left, he was limping because of his hip. If we look over in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11, we find something very interesting out. He never stopped limping. He never stopped limping. I want to tell you something today. When God touches your life, it will leave a mark. You will walk different than you did before your encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And so maybe you're here today and you say you're a believer. I have a simple question of honesty. Does your life after you met Jesus look a little different or a lot different than your life before Jesus? Because if if your life, if your walk has not changed, if if it didn't leave a mark on you, then I, I really, I'm not judging, but I don't know how Jesus can save you and not leave a mark that's that you can see. Because he leaves a mark. Now for confession time from the preacher. I'm a slow learner, stubborn, strong-willed. Even in my spiritual walk, I've been a slow learner. I got scars to show it. The other day, I was carrying my grandson, and my daughter was behind me, and she t- I heard her t- ask my wife, what's the matter with daddy's leg? <laughs> I said, it's old. That's what's the matter with my leg. But what the deal is, I got screws in both legs, knees, and ACLs have been replaced many years ago, and they hurt. And I've got artificial hip, you know, the kind where when you turn on the television, it says, hey, if you've had these parts, you need to be concerned. You could have chromium in your blood. I changed the channel real quick. And then I've got an incision right here where I had a hernia uh, re- repaired. And turn on the TV, and it says, if you've got a mesh in your stomach, I have to quick click that one real quick. And I've got a scar on my back where I had to have emergency surgery on my, my back. And I got a friend here with me today, Tommy Evans, and he's told me, he says, Joel, you plan on getting old? I said, well, if the Lord's willing, he says this, you better get real tough because it hurts every day. He encourages me with words like that. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I got, I got scars to show God is still working on me, making me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, but he's still working on me. Okay? And in the early service, I never thought about this. When God does something significant in your life, it will always leave a mark. You know how I know? Because when God did something significant in my life, the most significant thing he's ever done in my life, he did it 2,000 years ago. And it left marks on himself on my behalf.
it left marks on his feet when he hung on the cross. When God does greatness, it leaves a mark. And if you're here today and you've never let God mark your life, don't wait to the woodshed experience. Go ahead and listen to him now and respond. And maybe you're here today and you've been that casual follower, that casual distant observer, and you're ready to say, I want to be a believer. I want to place my life in God through Jesus. I want that. There's nothing to be afraid of. I'm telling you, it's the greatest thing you could ever do. I can't tell you that. But if you feel that in your soul, that's the Holy Spirit inviting you to him. And that's the only way you can ever be born again is if the Holy Spirit calls you to him. We can't just wake up one day, I think I'm going to get saved. It's Mother's Day. No, if the Holy Spirit calls us, that's when we can be saved. Maybe you're here and you're already a believer, but your life ever since your salvation has not changed. It's not developed. This needs to be the day that God says, hey, I want to take you to a new place. And you say, yeah, this old place is getting old. I'm ready to go to that new place. And so when God marks your life, let it be a good one. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these stories of people who have messed up lives just like we do, who have problems and situations and things that they would rather not talk about. And God, there you are on your throne. You're not the least bit surprised. You just keep loving through it. You just keep reaching out through it. You just keep trying to change it into something that you would have it to be. So God, me as a pastor, I stand before you, God, as we sang earlier, and I am a child of yours. I know that. God, there's many people in here today that are your children who have been born again, saved in Jesus' blood. But God, myself and those included, I ask that we would move to a new place, let you begin writing a new miracle chapter. God, let the marks of our life, the things that you've done, propel us to a new place. And God, most importantly, for those that are here today who do not have a real relationship with you, They're an observer who've never placed their belief in you. I pray that you would quicken their heart, invite them to yourself, make them so uncomfortable that they have to come running to you for salvation. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song, and I'm going to be standing right down here as I always do. And if you're here today and you need to receive God's grace gift into your life, come down here and let me pray with you about that. If you're here and you need to make a new commitment to be more to experience sanctification, to live more for Christ, to let your life show. Come and lay it at the altar. Drive a stake in it. Make it, make a change. Let's sing.